Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and tokettes And non-toking lovers of liberty It is Wednesday, January 6, 2016 And it's got to be 420 Somewhere in the world Thanks for joining us here from beautiful legal potland, Oregon, where the snows and ice are beginning to melt. We had we had snow on the ground for two whole days here. Ooh, it's the winter of 2016. We're having a good time here at uh, Cannabis Radio, getting things delivered for you. All sorts of great new shows coming online. Make sure you check out CannabisRadio.com for the latest. We, of course, have Dr. Mitch Earlywine's Burning Issues, Vivian McPeak's Hemp Present, The Grow Show with Cal Cushman, Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina, and so many more. We're the official station for Canacon this year, and we're going to be uh, having all sorts of fun with that. Plus, you're going to see us all around the country on the Russ Belville Show Legalize America Tour, brought to you by CannabisRadio.com. We're going to travel all across the lower 48 states this year. And I might also have a chance to be in Hawaii for uh, the end of this month for the Hawaii Cannabis Expo. Looking forward to that. The uh, last day of this month is my birthday. I'll be turning 48 years old. And speaking of birthdays, a big happy birthday goes out to my brother, Matt Belville. That's right, Matt Belville, who has overcome stage four colon cancer. That's right. It was pretty scary there over the Christmas holidays, but uh, it didn't spread. There was no metastasization to the uh, lymph nodes or the liver, and they removed the cancerous part of his colon and... Seems like he's beaten cancer. So we had ourselves a festivist miracle here at the Belleville family, and I'm very happy that my brother is back at home celebrating his 45th birthday today. Happy birthday, Maddie Kachu. All right, coming up on the show today, all sorts of great stuff for those of you interested in ending adult marijuana prohibition all across this great land. Coming up at the end of the show, we're going to talk about the third-party candidacy just announced of Governor Gary Johnson with the Libertarian Party, and I'm going to tell you why I'm happy about that and why it doesn't mean a hill of beans in the big picture. Not Gary Johnson's fault, not the Libertarian's fault, it's the fault of the system. Don't hate the players, hate the game. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with our political game and what we can do to fix it so that we could actually have viable third-party candidates from the Libertarians, from the Greens, from the Constitutional Party, whatever other party that might be. This cannot happen. None of these third parties have a snowball's chance in hell until we change the voting system. I'm going to tell you how in today's Radical Rant at the end of the show. At half past, we've got our visit from Doug Fine, the organic cowboy out there on Twitter, also the author of Hemp Bound and Too High to Fail. He's going to bring us the Hemp Day Hump Day update today. Tell us what's happening in the world of industrial hemp all across the United States and around the world. Also coming up on the show today in drug war data mining, we're going to take a look at legalization in Colorado. We've just celebrated the three-year anniversary of legal possession and the two-year anniversary of legal sales. We'll take a look at all the statistics that show that Chicken Little was wrong, the sky did not fall after legalization in the Rocky Mountain State. Then we've also got, right after the news, our Behind the Headlines segment, 
where I ask if we're treating marijuana like alcohol, where are the pot lounges? You can't treat marijuana like alcohol without giving us a place to actually use it. We'll discuss that in Behind the Headlines, but coming up right after this break, we've got the Cannabis Radio News with headlines from the Associated Press. We're going to be taking a look at distributing and manufacturing cannabidiol oil in Georgia. We've got Illinois medical marijuana information, Maine looking to help kids on medical marijuana at school, a credit union judgment in Colorado for pot banking, Washington, D.C. briefly legalizing pot lounges, and where the expansion is happening in Denver. All that coming up next. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement, he went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq war, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce ten times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. 
This is your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, January 6, 2016. The Georgia lawmaker who championed legislation allowing people with certain diseases to possess medical marijuana pre-filed a bill on Wednesday allowing state-licensed manufacturers to operate in the state, calling in-state production, quote, the next logical step, end quote. The proposal from Representative Alan Peake, a Republican from Macon, would allow between two and six medical cannabis manufacturers to be licensed by the state and serve people with certain medical conditions who are listed on a state registry. Peake said the proposal, modeled on Minnesota law, includes the creation of a state system to track all marijuana plants and products and sets security requirements for the facilities. The proposal faces an uphill climb in Georgia. A commission studying the issue through the fall and winter voted down a recommendation backing creation of an in-state production system despite Peak's urging. Law enforcement organizations long have opposed any legal growth of marijuana in the state. The pace of Illinois patients getting state approval to use medical marijuana has increased. The Illinois Department of Public Health announced Wednesday that it has approved 4,000 patients to use medical marijuana in the state's pilot program. That's 400 more than one month ago, a big jump compared to previous months. Regulated marijuana sales began in Illinois on November 9th, and qualifying patients have purchased nearly $1.7 million worth of cannabis since then. The health department says 26 children are included in the figures released Wednesday. The health department says about 5,200 people have submitted complete applications. Illinois is among 23 states that allow at least medical use of marijuana. The state allows its use for 39 medical conditions, including cancer, glaucoma, and seizures. A Maine school committee is scheduled to consider a policy that would allow students to have medical marijuana administered in school under certain conditions. The committee approved a draft medical policy last month. It's scheduled to give it a final vote on Wednesday. Auburn Assistant Superintendent Michelle McClellan says any medical marijuana would have to be approved by a physician and administered in school by a parent or guardian. Nurses wouldn't be able to administer the drug. Marijuana doses would have to be in non-smoking form. Superintendent Kathy Grondon says a new state law requires all schools to adopt a medical marijuana policy. This policy would only apply to students under the age of 18. A judge on Tuesday dismissed a lawsuit that sought federal approval for a credit union aimed at serving Colorado's marijuana businesses, saying pot is still illegal under federal law. Fourth Corner Credit Union challenged a decision by the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City to keep the pot bank from accessing the nation's financial system. The credit union, which was chartered by Colorado in 2014, is not allowed to take deposits or issue credit, leaving many marijuana businesses operating on a cash-only basis and causing concerns over the possibility of robberies. Lawyers for the Federal Reserve argued that giving marijuana businesses access to the nation's banking system is too risky, saying that despite guidance from the nation's central Despite guidance about pot banking from the Department of Treasury, marijuana money should not be allowed into the nation's central banking system as long as the drug remains federally outlawed. U.S. District Judge R. Brooke Jackson dismissed the lawsuit Tuesday because federal law prohibits the drug. Jackson concluded that the marijuana banking situation is untenable, and he hopes it will soon be resolved by Congress. The Washington Post reports that the Washington, D.C. City Council on Tuesday voted to allow pot smoking at rooftop bars, sidewalk patios, and most any other place a city resident declared to be a private pot club. That lasted just about 30 minutes. After appeals from Mayor Muriel E. Bowser, who argued that there would be no way to rein in open pot use once the current restrictions were lifted, the council reversed itself. 
But several lawmakers said their change of heart could be short-lived, and the council agreed to reconsider the issue within four weeks. That leaves open the question of how the council, Bowser, and perhaps Congress will resolve a major disagreement about how lenient the city should be in regulating the smoking of pot in public. The Denver Post reports that recreational marijuana businesses have proliferated so rapidly in some of Denver's poorer neighborhoods during the past two years that city officials are exploring ways to disperse future growth more evenly. Marijuana business owners say they've moved into the parts of town that city regulators restrict them to be. They say that they work hard at being responsible neighbors in ways that include local hiring and community outreach. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, January 6, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your Cannabis 280E in tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. You're listening to Radical Russ on the Russ Belleville Show. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our cannabis focus. Throughout the fight to end adult marijuana prohibition, there has been a constant refrain of treat marijuana like alcohol. The public is increasingly aware that marijuana is safer than alcohol, and it seems only logical that if our society can handle the legalization of the most harmful drug people consume for fun, we should be able to handle one of the safest drugs people consume for fun. The public and our elected officials have largely taken that mantra to heart. Treat marijuana like alcohol, we asked. So now we're selling it in adults-only shops where we check IDs. We're having marijuana inspected and tested and labeled, just as we'd expect a bottle of wine to have an accurate labeling of proof and be free from contaminants. We even have scientists working to create a breathalyzer-style device for roadside sobriety testing to treat marijuana like alcohol. Even though in this case... Marijuana is nothing like alcohol. So why does the treat marijuana like alcohol concept fail to create venues where adults can gather to consume marijuana? A vapor lounge, a cannabis cafe, a pot bar, whatever you might call it, analogous to a whiskey lounge, a wine cafe, or a beer bar. Why the disconnect? 
I can think a few things more un-American than recognizing the rights of a citizen while maintaining code that makes exercising those rights impossible or impractical. We fought many battles as a nation to recognize the right of black Americans to vote, and then fought many more battles to ensure that right could actually be exercised. What good was it to pass the 15th Amendment when those states seeking to re-disenfranchise former slaves could do so through poll taxes, literacy tests, and other then-legal means? It took almost another century to truly protect those rights through the Voting Rights Act of 1965, and sadly today we have a Supreme Court that's amenable to ratcheting back those protections. Today in Washington, Oregon, and Colorado, a citizen of 21 years of age has the right to possess cannabis. But what good is that right if its real purpose, the right to consume cannabis, is impossible or impractical? If you don't own your own residence, you may have no legal place to smoke pot. Landlords may ban that, and public housing of all kinds will ban that. Toking up in public is forbidden, and no hotels are going to allow it either. Imagine the uproar in 1933 if Prohibition had ended and adults were once again allowed to buy, possess, and consume alcohol, but all bars, taverns, and pubs were illegal and restaurants could not serve alcohol. Preposterous! Especially when you know our country was founded by hard-drinking men who did a lot of their meeting in taverns. Any argument that can be made for the societal danger of a cannabis cafe is laughable in a nation where 19 million adults consumed alcohol in over 65,000 taverns last year. In almost every town, we have at least one building designed for the express purpose of allowing adults to consume a deadly impairing drug called alcohol. These buildings often have parking lots where we expect adults will park their cars while they drink and then we trust them to return to their cars and drive in an unimpaired state. We know for a fact some of them will be impaired when they drive away in the wee dark hours of the morning, and we know statistically that will lead to 30 people per day dying because of an alcohol-impaired driver. If we can accept that known societal danger as a reasonable trade-off for the freedom of adults to consume alcohol in a public setting, there is no credible reason why we shouldn't accept buildings where pot smokers can gather and consume, especially when they are far safer drivers afterward. Of the currently legal states, only Alaska has made the sensible choice to allow for adult use venues. Colorado does not, but an initiative to allow it in Denver has brought the government to the table to at least discuss pot lounges. Washington state has felonized such clubs to the point where a bar owner who doesn't shut down incidental pot smoking can be busted for that felony. Oregon, meanwhile, has shoehorned vaporization and cannabinoids into a Clean Air Act that was predicated on reducing the proven known harms of secondhand tobacco smoke, even though secondhand cannabis vapor has never been shown to produce those harms. Washington, D.C.'s city council just briefly, for a half hour, legalized private club consumption, only to reverse the decision after the mayor worried about opening this Pandora's box. The tide may be turning for private marijuana clubs, however. The 2016 initiatives to legalize marijuana in California, Arizona, Nevada, and Massachusetts all provide for the possibility of pot lounges, while Maine's initiative guarantees they will exist.
It's time for the currently legal states to recognize that without cannabis cafes, tourists and renters will just light up in alleys, parks, and other public spaces where we don't want marijuana consumption. The whole point of legalizing marijuana was to treat marijuana like alcohol, because only through legalization do we have control. This is bullshit. It's like Cypress Hill concert in here. So let's get to it. Let's get these marijuana lounges opened. Let's get these laws changed. Here in Oregon, we're going to be working with Portland Normal in the short session to come up with an exception to our Clean Air Act, something like the cigar bars get. That's the worst hypocrisy. We allow cigar bars in this state, but not cannabis cafes? Insane. Get.buzz. .buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. .buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. .buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. .buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz. The Russ Belleville Show, where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak. If you're an adult who enjoys a good beer, there's a similar product you might want to know about. One without all the calories and serious health problems. Less toxic so it doesn't cause hangovers or overdose deaths, and it's not linked to violence or reckless behavior. Marijuana. Less harmful than alcohol, and time to treat it that way. For more information, visit MarijuanaIsSafer.org. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we take a look at Colorado three years after legalization. Of course, uh, 2012, they or actually the beginning of 2013 was about when legal possession began in Colorado. Then in the beginning of 2014 is when the legal sales began in Colorado. So we have three years worth of possession and cultivation legalization data to work with and two years worth of commercial production and sales data to work with. And we still have a lot of things that need to be cleared up. Obviously, we've been having these pesticide uh, recalls in Colorado as of late, and there are other issues, the banking issue and the tax issue that still need to be rectified, the public use venue issue as well. But over these past three years, I think we can look back at the data from Colorado 
and make the case that the sky did not fall. The worst predictions of the marijuana opponents did not come true and that legalization has proven to do what we said it would do. Let's take a look at some of the data. First of all, we've seen the possession, cultivation, and distribution charges for marijuana cumulatively drop over 80%. This is something that sometimes gets left behind in the, in remembering that the whole point of legalizing marijuana was to end marijuana arrests. You know, we look at the tax revenue, we look at the fatalities on the roads and so forth, but really the whole point was to end marijuana arrests and it's succeeded in spades, not just eliminating the arrests for less than one ounce possession and less than six plants cultivation. This is an 80% drop for all marijuana charges in the state of Colorado, possession, cultivation, and distribution. And a large part of that has to do with the legalization of marijuana, ending the contraband nature of cannabis and uh, the the other accessories used to produce it. No longer is your trip to the grocery store or finding some some marijuana material in your garbage justification for a SWAT raid like the one that took place in Kansas that we told you about yesterday, where a simple trip to the gardening store and finding some wet, leafy residue in the garbage was enough to send a SWAT team into a law-abiding family's home, a family that had no marijuana uh, cultivation going on or possession going on at all, to frighten the hell out of them with uh, assault weapons pointed at their face. That doesn't exist anymore in the state of Colorado and the other states that have legalized to a large extent because now cops don't have that probable cause. They don't have that sniff of a drug dog to give them the excuse to bust down your door. But it's not just marijuana charges that have decreased. We've seen all drug-related charges, all drugs, drop by 23% on the judicial district level since the passage of Amendment 64 in Colorado. This comes from Drug Policy Alliance's Art Ray, who uh, wrote on Huffington Post and Alternate about this. But a 23% drop in all drug arrests. And again, because of the lack of probable cause for the smell of marijuana. Cocaine doesn't smell. Meth doesn't smell. Heroin doesn't smell. It's very difficult for a cop to be able to collar you for possession of any of those items. But marijuana does smell. And oftentimes they'd catch people for the marijuana and then find the other drugs that they might have had on them. But let's look at some of the results. Colorado is projected to have brought in over $125 million in taxes in 2015. $125 million. So much tax revenue that they actually had to vote on whether or not they had to give some of it back to the people because of Colorado's Tabor. Some other results, talking about the kids, that was one of the big things. If we legalize marijuana, oh, what about the children? Well, according to the Colorado Healthy Kids Survey, the trend for current and lifetime marijuana use among the children has remained stable since 2005. Even as the medical dispensaries began opening in 2009, 2010, legalization happens in 2013, Recreational shops open in 2014. No more high school kids are trying pot than they ever did. And in another look, the Youth Risk Behavior Survey shows us, and this is a biennial study, every two years they bring this up. In 2013, the first full year the drug was legal, 20% of high school kids admitted using pot in the preceding month, and 37% said they'd tried sometime in their life. Two years prior to that, both of those data points were two points higher. It was 22% monthly, 39% lifetime. So we're actually seeing a small, statistically insignificant drop in the amount of kids using pot. 
certainly not any increase in the kids using pot. According to data released by the city of Denver, violent crime and property crime in Denver decreased in 2014. Violent crime went down by 2.2% and burglaries decreased 9.5% and overall property crime decreased 8.9%. We've also found that Colorado has the fastest growing economy in the United States. Colorado's unemployment rate is at a six-year low. That's helped by the fact that according to the Department of Revenue, 16,000 people who were licensed to work in the marijuana industry as of the end of 2014, 16,000 people and all those businesses, and that's just the people directly licensed to work in the marijuana industry. It doesn't count all those industries that have increased business and increased sales selling the accessories for the marijuana industry. We told you about some of those companies, like companies in Wisconsin, for example, that are benefiting from marijuana legalization. The fears of our opponents have not come true. Colorado is a better place now that they have marijuana legalization, economically, social health-wise, and of course, as far as their criminal justice statistics go. We're seeing similar results in Washington state, and I'm telling you, you're going to see similar results in Oregon and Alaska as the years pass and these legalization regimes begin to take hold. Four down, 46 more to go. It's time to bring legalization to everyone in the United States. We're coming your way just as soon as we can. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, it's time for our Hemp Day Hump Day update. Doug finally coming in, calling in from his goat farm in New Mexico, or wherever the hell he is right now. He's such a world traveler. Stay tuned. We're back right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Hassan Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage and Recording King guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone, and Recording King banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon, at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I said, on this program, what do they want? My grandchildren and the monster. (gasps) Did I scare you? Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> More 
marijuana legalization also ushers in the return of the American hemp industry. Get the latest news from the author of Hemp Bound and Too High to Fail, Doug Fine, in our Hemp Day Hump Day update. Welcome back, everybody, and Happy New Year. A Happy New Year to you, Doug Fine, calling us uh, from wherever you're at. Welcome back, Doug. It's always good to be with you, Russ, here on uh, Hemp Day Hump Day. Thanks for having me, and I'm on the Funky View Ranch in New Mexico right now, working on hemp legalization here in my home state. Could be planting on the ranch with my kids this spring. Oh, that's awesome. Glad to hear that. Of course, uh, the hemp, the uh, goat farm down there in New Mexico. How's the, how's the weather down there? You're freezing out yet? Yeah, it's been pretty, it's been, uh, El Nino in the high desert is a nice thing. It's wetter than usual. We did some sledding in the mountains. Um, and when I say planting with my kids, I'm talking about human and goat kids because the, uh, <laughs> the whole family needs that, that, uh, superfood of the hemp seed oil. Yeah. We're looking forward to, you know, uh, legalizing that throughout the country and, and getting that production up and running and be great health benefits for Americans. Uh, now, Doug, it's been a while since we've had a chance to talk. I know a ton of things have been going on nationally and internationally when it comes to industrial hemp. Uh, give us an update. Where do we stand here in 2016? I'll have to throw a dart at the dartboard to, to say where to start. Um, I guess I'll start with the really the biggest thing left to do when it comes to what these days is called industrial hemp uh, is the passage of S-359, the Industrial Hemp Farming Act. Uh, there's a lot of co-sponsors, but there's a huge effort on, including one that I'm going to be participating in to make sure that that gets onto the floor and passed. Once onto the floor and voted on, there's very, very little opposition, but there's a lot going on in the world. And uh, the legislators, congressfolk, and senators who uh, who supported need to, you know, support, you know, prioritize it high enough so that it gets uh, on the docket. And there's a major push um, this year from so many places uh, to get it going. But the 2015 harvest, which I've been documenting, has been it was a remarkable thing. It's the exponential growth. Um, predicted, I predicted a couple of years ago when I wrote in Hempbound, but this is not, you know, crystal ball genius on my part. It's, it's, um, farmers understanding what the value of the crop is immediately. Farmers are businessmen and women first and foremost, and, um, it's going to be win-win for the whole society. Let's remind people, what is that bill again? And how can people uh, help get that passed? S-359, the Industrial Hemp Farming Act, it has a different number on the House side, but if folks Google Industrial Hemp Farming Act, they'll see information about it. And um, calling and writing to your congresspeople and senators, uh, first do the research to see if they are already one of the co-sponsors, which is great, but then urge them to make sure they take it to the floor and mention that they're voting on it, and uh, if their reps are not already up to really... Um, make noise about it, tell their friends. It's, it's, uh, it's really big. The, uh, one of the many biggest things that's um, emerged as a hemp app in the past year or so has been um, hemp as the best performing fiber for next generation uh, nanotechnology involved in supercapacitors, that is energy storage in the future. And we've talked about it here on Hempty Hump Day in the past, but it's it's real. I've been in, interviewing the uh, researchers that have been involved in the project, and it's uh, um, the the best case wishes for what hemp can do when it comes to food, when it comes to energy. It's better than we could have guessed um, during during prohibition before we were allowed to be doing research. 
Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And, you know, for years, you know, going all the way back to Jack Herrer, people have talked about, you know, hemp for fuel, you know, hemp for fuel. And we always looked at it as the as the, you know, the, the hemp seed oil that could be used as a as a biodiesel kind of product. But now this idea of hemp fibers in graphene batteries takes us away from combustion and gets us more into wind and solar and all these renewable sources where their only problem has been, where do you store the excess power? Because a power grid has to have a constant kind of flow. And these, these, uh, if I'm understanding correctly, the, the hemp, uh, would perform not only as well as graphene, but be so much cheaper that it would finally unlock the, the cost savings potential of these, uh, alternative energy sources, right? That's right. Um, it's quite possible that while we are still dealing with, um, combustion engines as, as we ideally fade those out, that when enough acreage is grown, which might be sooner rather than later, um, based on, I can talk to you about acreage and the exponential growth that's been happening just in the first and second um, federally legal harvest of the mo- modern era, um, but, uh, that, that we may see enough acreage growing that, that the hemp seed oil can be used for biodiesel-type applications. And I've driven on hemp seed oil, but you're absolutely right that first and foremost, hemp produces so much biomass, and that's just there. And that can be used for energy production. In fact, in Europe, is being used for energy production in relatively uh, clean anaerobic combustion uh, applications like gasification. Um, But this, like you said, energy storage side could be the real game changer because you got the parabolic uh, uh, solar collector there in the Nevada desert, and now you have uh, an eco-friendly and high-performance way of storing that energy. It also, it's not even just about uh, having cheap biomass to store the energy. It performs so well that it's, incre- it's decreasing the amount of time that it takes, for instance, let's say to charge an entire car battery. So mm-hmm. I've been trying to ping Elon Musk on, on Twitter to, to uh, make him aware of these interviews I've been doing with the uh, with the uh, progenitors of these uh, hemp studies. And uh, Musk, um, of course, the guy who's uh, behind the Tesla batteries, right? That's right. Excellent. It would be such a natural fit. I'm glad you're uh, pressuring them on that. Uh, so, folks, yeah, get involved and, and you know, look up this uh, Industrial Hemp Farming Act bill. And this is one of those things where a call to action goes out equally to everyone because this is uh, as bipartisan an issue as you can get. I mean, you've got Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul of Kentucky, two diehard Republicans who are two of the strongest supporters of this thing. That's right. And also uh, 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 progressives in uh, Jared Polis in Colorado, uh, Earl Blumenauer in Oregon. There's, there's uh, folks in Tennessee pushing hard as well. So it's really all, it's a completely bipartisan issue. It's, there's no opposition. There's hardly any opposition to any cannabis anymore. Yeah. But um, especially on hemp, if it just gets to the floor, it's going to happen. Um, meanwhile, even while we are in this, what's called read the research provision many listeners will already know about this but to a degree federal prohibition ended first with hemp a year or two ago as the uh, uh, research provision in the farm bill was passed allowing uh, de facto legalization because sales and marketing research are allowed, are allowed which has allowed Kentucky to go from 
uh, a dozen acres in 2014 to 1,700 acres wow. this year. Um, Colorado is seeing similar growth. I was at 140-acre harvest, Colorado 70-acre harvest in Kentucky, and I'm really learning how to do it, which is re- really a ton of fun. And then just a, a few weeks ago, the president signed a bill um, that included a provision to allow interstate uh, commerce with regard to hemp, which was one of these factors that was hampering even the research phase. I can tell you from being involved in uh, trying to help uh, project, hemp projects in the friendliest of states, like Kentucky, get their hemp seed imported. It's not like it was that hard, but it was tricky. Anytime you're importing anything, um, um, it's tricky. Um, and the fact that now that the seeds are being regenerated in the states and that, that those seeds can be moved across states, on how I think a lot of people are interpreting this this new provision that got signed into law is going to make uh, things a lot easier, but we really need that S359. Uh, um, the second, t- the uh, Industrial Hemp Farming Act on the federal level, that's the first thing listeners can really do. Um, as far as individual states go, I mentioned Kentucky and Colorado. They both are increasing exponentially. You look for thousands, thousands of acres to be cultivated in both Colorado and Kentucky next year. But I'm also helping out a tr- um, involved in um, states that have so many interested farmers, but they're, they're in what this, I call this sort of uh, middling, the second tier level of support from their state agriculture department. The research provision, again, all this is, is, is uh, surmounted when we pass full federal legalization, and that's, that's one floor vote away in the House and Senate. But um, in individual states that have their own hemp laws and should, could, be surging forward. The farmers want to do it. The law is passed. It requires cooperation from the state agriculture department and from uh, universities. And I'm helping farmers in multiple states like that, including Vermont and Oregon. And um, those are some of the stories that have me the most excited because uh, it's a kind of a can-do, don't never, you know, don't take no for an answer attitude. And the fact that Vermont and Oregon's acreage looks to increase exponentially next year um, from admirable small starts this year um, is something that's really, really cool to me. That was vital that that seed got in the ground in those two states and other similar states, and it's going to be even bigger next year. Oh, we're so looking forward to it. I know uh, a few of the Oregon hemp farmers out here are looking forward to expanding the program and, and the rest of the states that are working on this. It's just, it's amazing how fast the ball is rolling now. Uh, looking at uh, the international side of things, I know there's a UN General Assembly coming up in April to talk about, you know, psychoactive marijuana and Generally, the rest of the world has been far ahead of us on industrial hemp. Is there anything at the international level we need to be paying attention to? Well, the, the UNGAS, as they call it, the United Nations General Assembly Special Session, is worth watching. Um, I uh, testified at some of the hearings leading up to UNGAS uh, the, that were in, held in Vienna last year, and you could see, especially amongst people that have been working on this issue, and this is not this is actually an all drugs kind of thing. It's not just cannabis. Um, that uh, you can see that the UN bureaucracy is um, inching toward, it's actually in some cases leaping towards, but inching towards acknowledgement of reality. There's been head in the ground kind of nonsense. You know, it was, it was you know, late 90s that the UN's the drug slogan is a drug-free world, colon, we can do it. And um, now it's, uh, they've, they've adopted that kind of harm reduction 
um, side of things, but there's even more recently there's been leaked documents from the UN drug uh, policy folks, the high commission as they call it, um, <laughs> that uh, says, you know, we, we got to just get with the program and let member states do their thing. Um, whether or not it will happen at the special session in April in New York, I mean, I'm going to be there, but um, I don't know. I tend to be an optimist, and optimism tends to tends to be right, but I'm not an international law expert. And, um, you know, what some people, what some analysts are saying, not that analysts are always right, um, is that yeah, this is just going to be opening the debate that will eventually acknowledge what 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 the three international conventions on narcotic drugs have to say, which is it's none of the international community's business what a member state does about drugs. And yeah, sure, we can have protocols involved to protect um, movement of any kind of materials from one member state that is not that doesn't share similar laws with another member state, right? One state legalize, one U.S., Uruguay, Portugal legalize cannabis. Maybe, you know, Saudi Arabia has a right to to not have it exported to them under international law if they don't want it. Well, okay. We all hope they would because Saudi people have endocannabinoid systems too. But, um, <laughs> Good point. Anyway, so you get the point. So I'm not sure how big on guesses, but it was it's, it's remarkable that it was called, the special session was called by the president's of um, uh, Colombia, Venezuela, and Mexico saying we have to address these out-of-date uh, drug laws. Oh, Doug, fine. You've got so much information for us. We need two segments, but we've run out of time in this one. Follow Doug on at Organic Cowboy on Twitter. You can go to DougFine.com for more information on his books and his whereabouts. You'll, if, if Doug's speaking somewhere near you, you want to see him. So check out that schedule and uh, get out there and get active. Uh, Doug, thanks so much for calling in, and uh, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Learn more about industrial hemp. Can't wait. Thanks, Russ. Thank you, man. All right, folks. When we come back, we'll have time for a radical rant. We're going to take a look at third parties in America. Gary Johnson's running for president again, and unfortunately, there's no shot in hell he'll be elected. I'll tell you why when we come back. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Carson doesn't believe in the Geneva Convention. Okay, maybe you're high, too. If you're an adult who enjoys a good beer, there's a similar product you might want to know about. One without all the calories and serious health problems. Less toxic so it doesn't cause hangovers or overdose deaths, and it's not linked to violence or reckless behavior. Marijuana, less harmful than alcohol, and time to treat it that way. For more information, visit marijuanaissafer.org. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. 
Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make them. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical Rant. Today we begin the rant by noting that Governor Gary Johnson, former two-term Republican governor of New Mexico, is once again running for president of the United States on the Libertarian Party ticket. Did so in 2012 and uh, also, I think, in 2008. I know I found myself at a lot of cannabis events with Gary Johnson. It was almost for a while like he was stalking me. But uh, he's always been consistent about his libertarian agenda. And part of that, of course, includes uh, the legalization of marijuana and the liberalization of our drug laws. As a candidate, Gary Johnson is a perfectly wonderful candidate for our cause and for many other causes uh, running for president of the United States. It's only a shame that he has no shot in hell of winning. And I, I hate to have to say it because there's so many people in our movement, in this cannabis movement, who uh, despise the two-party duopoly we have, uh, feeling like the fix is in. And I think that a lot of the popularity of Bernie Sanders on the left and Donald Trump on the right owes to that disaffectation that the American people have with our political system, a system in which so few of us vote because we realize that it doesn't really matter that our voting uh, is largely determined by a handful of swing states and that if you, like me, grew up in Idaho, it didn't matter who you voted for for president. The Republican was going to get the electoral votes out of Idaho. If you live in California, it probably doesn't matter to you either because your electoral votes are going to go to a Democrat. Only if you live in places like Florida or Colorado, New Mexico, Ohio, Pennsylvania, some of these swing states are your votes really going to make much of a difference in the presidential election? But it's beyond just the electoral college that is stymieing the third parties that want to try to uh, be elected president. It's the system itself. So when I say that Gary Johnson doesn't have a shot in hell of winning uh, the presidency, or for that matter, Jill Stein or anybody else running third party, it's not because I dislike them. It's not because I don't agree with a lot of their policies, and it's not because I don't desperately wish we had more third-party representation in this country. The reason they cannot win owes solely to our winner-take-all voting system. It's the math, stupid. It's the game theory, stupid. It doesn't matter how good a third-party candidate you are in the system that we have. In my lifetime, and I was born in 1968, no third-party candidate for president has ever gotten a single electoral vote. Looking back through history, and I was in a, a Twitter argument today, or Twitter discussion, I should say, with uh, someone on uh, this issue talking about you know third parties, and I noted the fact that in the last election, Gary Johnson got less than 1% 
of the popular vote. And he was on the ballot in 48 out of 50 states. Now, I don't think that less than 1% of the American people thought Gary Johnson would be a good presidential candidate. I'll bet there was a whole bunch of them that liked Gary Johnson and would have voted for him, but recognized that our winner-take-all system meant that a vote going to Gary Johnson was something that was going to help elect a Democrat. And it's gone the other way, too. You know, in the, the Bush v. Gore election with Ralph Nader, people who really would have liked to have voted for Ralph Nader, but recognized throwing that vote to Nader meant allowing George W. Bush to win. And that's just the nature of our winner-take-all voting system. You can do the math on this. You can do the game theory on this. And you're always going to get two parties. It doesn't matter what they're called. And, and looking historically over American politics, you know, it hasn't always been Republicans and Democrats. It's been Whigs and Know-Nothings and a bunch of other parties, too. But it always seems to coalesce into two major parties. And it's because of the math of our voting system. It's winner take all. I would encourage everyone listening to me to check out a website called rangevoting.org, rangevoting.org, R-A-N-G-E voting.org. And this site goes into great detail, especially if you're a stats geek or a math geek like I am, goes into great detail about the game theory of our winner-take-all electoral system and how there's no way we're going to get any viable third parties until we change that system. What range voting is, is instead of being able, let's say you got five people on the ballot, in our system right now, you get to vote for one of those people. In essence, out of five, you get to pick the one you like the best. What if there are two or three people on that ballot that you like? Suppose there's three good candidates running against Stalin and Hitler, right? You got five people on the ballot. Two of them are Stalin and Hitler. The way our winner-take-all system works is that people will vote in a way to prevent Stalin or Hitler from getting elected, not necessarily vote for who they think is their best candidate of the other three. When it comes to this other system, though, range voting, range voting, or sometimes it's called score voting, is a system that allows you the most possible choices. In a range voting system, you'd get to vote for all five people on the ballot. And instead of just voting yes or no, you get to give them a score. It's kind of like if you watch the Olympics and you see the judges, you know, picking the winners of gymnastics or diving. You'll have 11 judges and they all give a score zero to six and you throw out the lowest and the highest and you take the average and there you go. It's kind of that idea. Say in the Bush v. Gore election in 2000, instead of having to choose, I'm either going to pick Bush, Gore, or Nader, one of those three. Imagine if you could have picked two of those three. Imagine if your vote could have been, I'm going to give a vote to Nader and to Gore and not give a vote to Bush. You could have voted for the candidate you wanted, Nader, but also known that you had given a vote to Gore in case Nader didn't win, you could at least get Gore. In our current system, you didn't have that choice. If you made that choice for Nader, you had to live with the possibility that doing so cost Gore a vote and thereby elected Bush. 
And we can, you know, throw this to the other direction if you want to talk uh, Clinton, uh, Dole, uh, Perot in that election. Same idea. You might have liked Ross Perot, but knowing voting for Perot cost Dole a vote that allowed Clinton to win the election. In range voting, though, every candidate gets a vote, and, and it can be a score system from zero to nine or zero to 99. It doesn't matter what the numbers are, but as long as there's some numbers involved. And you would rank on that scale each candidate as to how you preferred them. For example, maybe you liked Nader the most. You could give him a nine. But you also thought Gore was okay. You could give him an eight. And you absolutely despised George W. Bush. You could give him a zero. Now, beyond this system making a little more sense as far as giving a better a, a better uh, telling of what the people's choices are, Right. Instead of it being a binary, I like Nader or I like Gore, this system allows you to say, I like both those guys and maybe one just a little more than the other. Now, people worry about this. Is this system constitutional? Don't don't we have a system that it's one person, one vote? Exactly. But nothing in our Constitution says what that vote actually is. Right. And one person being able to make votes for five different candidates doesn't mean that one person has more votes than anybody else. Everybody would have that right to rank each candidate. Practically speaking, it's something that can be implemented on all our electronic voting systems very easily with hardly any code changes. It can be implemented on our written voting systems by using, you know, like the optical scan bubble sheets, like you filled out for your SATs. You would just fill out that zero to nine bubble for each candidate. The only downside I can see in range voting is it is slightly more complex to get your mind around. And, you know, uh, we had voters in 2000 who couldn't figure out a butterfly ballot in Palm Beach. Imagine showing them a zero to nine ballot. So there would be kind of a learning curve for us to get the hang of this. But when it comes down to the mathematics of it, the game theory of it, this has been run through numerous, numerous computer simulations, not only range voting and winner-take-all voting, but other types of voting like instant runoff voting and other types of systems that we find around the world. And every simulation, every complex study of these systems shows that the range voting system gives the best result that is most amenable to the greatest amount of people. It doesn't necessarily mean the best candidate wins, but it means the candidate who's most preferred by the most people is guaranteed to win. It eliminates any of these problems of having a spoiled vote, of feeling like you're throwing your vote away. It eliminates the possibility of what they call candidate cloning, where you end up with two very similar candidates. Uh, maybe one's a Republican, one's an independent, and, and that sort of problem that, that comes out. And we've seen this in effect in a few countries that use this system, as well as nature. We see this in how honeybees choose a new location for their hive. We see this in how ants find a new location for their anthills. It's all a, a system that's been proven through evolution to provide the best answers for the survival of those species. Why shouldn't we use it? to preserve the survival of our American democracy and provide to the American people the best possible choices and more parties, more voices in our system. Please check out rangevoting.org. 
This is the number one issue libertarians, greens, constitutionalists, and independents should get behind if they ever, ever want to have a chance of winning a nationwide election. That's all the time we got for today. Thanks for joining us. From beautiful legal Potland, Oregon, I'm Radical Russ. And for everyone here at Cannabis Radio, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes.